Kia ora, I'm Damien Venuto and this is the summer special of The Front Page, the NZ Herald's daily news podcast. While we're on our summer break, we're taking a look back at some of the biggest stories and top-rated episodes from the podcast this year. No family ever expects to find themselves in court, but for thousands in Aotearoa, that is a reality they do find themselves in. In August, the Herald ran a series on the family court, pouring through the case files and talking to those at the coalface of a part of our legal system that's under crisis. The front page caught up with NZ Herald senior writer Jane Fair at the time to discuss what she had learned about a system that some have described as a war zone. Jane, can you briefly describe what the family court is, what sort of cases they do, how busy it is compared to other court systems, and what the taxpayer cost is of this part of the legal system? Well, the family court are dealing with people and their issues, so divorce, care of child issues, custody, power of attorney, when you have a sick adult, and it's an extremely busy court. They're dealing with about 55,000 cases a year. They've got 64 judges. And it's costing, I did add it up, it's more than $315 million a year. $23 million of that is the judge's salaries. That would cover legal aid, lawyer for child, supervised access, psychology reports, staff. It's a big organisation. You've described the family court as a war zone. What exactly did you mean by this? Well, the family court is an adversarial system, and that's its problem, I think, rather than inquisitorial So you're pitting parent against parent and lawyer against lawyer and children are witnessing what essentially becomes a war and it can go on for years. Jane, you spoke with many families in writing this series. What are some of the most harrowing accounts that you've heard? Uh, They're very distressing. There's cases where um, fathers haven't seen their children for up to a year or they have to have supervised access. There's cases where mothers are just distraught, they've run out of money, dad is fighting them at every turn. The length of time some of these cases go on is extraordinary. I mean, it can go on for years and they make application after application which have to be defended and they run out of money and they run out of energy. How is it that these cases become so messy? Is it just the parents who can't split amicably or is there something else going on here? Most New Zealand parents do split amicably, or when I say amicably, they don't necessarily end up in the family court. The majority don't. Or if they do, it's over a minor matter and it's solved. But there's a hardcore percentage there that will fight and fight. They don't accept the judge's rulings or the psychologist's report. They hate the other parent and it just keeps going on and on and on. And they don't give up. There does seem to be a big divide in financial resources between the spouses in a divorce. Does that impact how these disputes eventually play out? I've written quite extensively about property settlement and it definitely impacts that. I think the person with the most money can keep fighting and fighting to the disadvantage of the other spouse. Fighting over children, it's the same. One case I spoke to, he'd spent 500000 in the family court and still didn't have access to his daughter. I think recently the government have increased the access to legal aid, so I think it's a little bit better now. But five years ago, legal aid was very restricted and that was a big disadvantage to parents who couldn't afford to pay a lawyer. Jane, is it fair to say that the system has historically been weighted in favour of those who have more money to fight? I think so, yes, because the thresholds for legal aid are quite low. And so I've had cases where 
a mother has had to lend, you know, she, she's had to borrow money to lend money to her daughter so she can keep fighting because her legal aid bill got up so large and she no longer qualified. So I think there is an advantage if you have money and you have the will, you can keep fighting. And there have been cases where both men and women have had to walk away in the end and just give up. It seems like the worst cases are those that end up going all the way to court. So is enough being done to stop matters from escalating to that point? Damien, when I started on this series, I, in my mind, thought there would be big faults in the family court, in the system, and that was the issue. And there are. There are long delays. It's an adversarial system. But the more I talk to people, the more I realise that actually it's the people that are involved in these cases that are equally to blame. So couples have to go through a, a parenting through separation course, but it's only about four hours. And then the next step is mediation is offered, but one party doesn't have to go. It's not compulsory. So often they just say no or they sabotage it. And the other problem is there is a cost. It's nearly $450 if your income is above a threshold, and that threshold is extremely low. So there's a cost involved, and some parents just can't afford that. If you think of going into court, getting childcare, the transport costs, the parking costs a lawyer, and then mediation, it's, it's expensive. You also spoke to psychologists in writing this series. What do they say about what drives parents to make the decisions that end up being bad for their kids? They were very firm on this. Hate, jealousy, anger, resentment, retribution, all those negative emotions... And deep down, they probably know it's not good for their children, what they're doing, but they just can't let it go. They have a point to make, or they want to get back at their partner, or they don't want to lose, and so they keep going, they keep fighting. What are some of the long-term impacts these drawn-out procedures have on kids? Well, the clinical psychologists I spoke to who, who work in the court, they're across all the research, and there's very compelling research which shows that not all of these kids, but some of these kids that are involved in these very bitter fights, watching their parents fight most of their school years, they have a higher rate of substance abuse and addiction, anxiety, depression, behavioural issues. And in the future, they have difficulty forming healthy relationships because they've never had a good role model. The system is even having an impact on lawyers and judges with a massive spike in complaints about judges while family court lawyer Brinton Smith was attacked in an elevator at the Whangarei Court how often does that happen and what psychological impact do legal representatives face dealing with these emotionally fraught cases? Well, Brinton was an unusual case. I mean, he was very viciously assaulted and he's not completely recovered yet. So that's not so common, but I think the abuses, I mean, one psychologist I spoke to said she regularly had online abuse or abuse yelled at her. And in one case, it got so close and so personal, she had to involve the police. I think the other thing is that I think they just get worn out. I mean, a lot of these court specialists, they're not paid. I mean, a lawyer for child, their rates, they're not great. They're not getting rich off it. A lot of parents, resentful parents said to me, oh, the lawyers are only stringing it along for the money, but they're not. There's not a lot of money in it. So I think a lot of them get really worn down by, here we go again, here's another difficult case, and trying to make the adults see what they're doing. Given that emotional strain, is it almost in the lawyer's best interest to settle before it gets to court in the first place? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the good ones will 
try and get the you know round table settlement. So they'll call if they've tried mediation and counselling, they'll call like a round table. So you'll have the lawyer and dad on one side, or one caregiver and lawyer and mother on the other side, and then there'll be lawyer for child there as well, and they'll try and settle it that way. But often that doesn't work. We hope you're finding this episode of The Front Page insightful. Follow us on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more premium coverage from our top writers, head to nzherald.co.nz slash premium to subscribe. Jane, when you look at something like mediation, that seems to come down to the volition of the two conflicting parties. Is too much being left up to choice? Should things be mandated more regularly? Well... The society we live in, I suppose, it's freedom of choice. But uh, it seems to me that mediation should be something that parents have to go through, caregivers have to go through, before they get into a very extreme and expensive fight in the family court, which is already overloaded. I mean, there's huge delays between hearings and applications and cases. Those numbers about how overloaded the system is were quite stark. So you have only a handful, around 64 judges, adjudicating over as many as, what, 55,000 cases. How did that get so out of whack, and is there any way to fix that? The people who work in the court, lawyers and psychologists, they say actually it's improved in the last year. Case management's improved, and they have hired more judges or allocated more judges. So it's better, but it's still a very busy... I mean, if you think of Auckland's population almost exploding, really... I think also the Judicial Commissioner in his report last year wondered whether COVID had had a run-on effect, really. He felt people were more agitated and angry, and he wondered if that was causing you know, an increase in cases, but also a sharp increase in complaints. So I think they've doubled the complaints against judges and against the family court since 2020. And given that the money isn't great when it comes to family court disputes, are there even enough lawyers to deal with the number of cases that we're seeing? I think there are. I mean, they're very dedicated. Some of them have worked in the system for 30 years, certainly aren't earning what their colleagues are. I think there are enough, but you still need the money to pay for them. And that adds up if this goes on for years or weeks or months or years. Yeah, I think there's a financial issue. I think the biggest problem is the delays between hearings. So if there's a protection order taken out and the other spouse wants to fight that, they might have to wait six months or eight months to get a a hearing. And in that time, the child may not be able to see the parent or it might have to be under supervised access every Sunday, which is not great for the child. And that's how I think in the end, child alienation happens. Jane, in your reporting on this issue, is there a case that really stands out to you? Well, many of the people I spoke to had heartbreaking stories, but one of the most recent cases was a woman who had 50-50 care of her children and then had a knock on the door from the police and she didn't see her children for another month. The ex had taken out a without notice protection order and then later without notice a temporary custody order. And because of the delays, she didn't see her children for a month and then for the following year, she had supervised access. And that's pretty traumatic. That's a stranger sitting in the same room listening to what you say to your children. It's not great for the kids, certainly not great for the mum. And it's left her completely traumatised. She has PTSD. 
sits there at night fearing that there's going to be a knock on the door, that the ex is going to try it again. A few days before the final court hearing, and she was looking forward to getting before the judge to say none of these accusations are true, the whole case was dropped and they went back to 50-50 care. So all that trauma was for nothing at the end of the day? Well, I think the ex had some concerns because she became depressed, but she only became depressed after she lost the children. So she had some mental health issues. She she admits she became depressed. But the length of time it went on, and there was no support, there was no mediation, and the children were completely bewildered. They were told, Mummy's sick. But she wasn't really sick. She was battling through. She was on a benefit, and he had a barrister. So it's an unfair system, and her children now are completely traumatised, and they have behavioural issues. In terms of the family court, it doesn't show a lot of empathy or sympathy or support for some of these families, and I think the process can destroy people. I mean, another father I spoke to, he spent half a million over time trying to get access to his daughter, and that's left him, I think, very traumatised. He's lost contact with her. She now lives overseas, so it all came to nothing. The interesting thing there is that you have people on both sides of the spectrum. You have one person on the benefit who has struggled and another person who can afford half a million dollars on lawyers' fees. So it can affect anyone, really. Yes, it is the court system. It's also the people involved in it. I think the parents themselves are often, you know, they they have personality traits which can make them argumentative and they don't want to give in. I mean, the specialist that I spoke to said, you've got to keep thinking about what is best for your kids. Yes, he's, he might be a narcissist, he might be horrible to you, but he's still, he or she is still a loving parent. And a child wants to know that their parents are at least getting on, even if they're not together, because it's incredibly upsetting for them. And then they get caught in these tug of loyalty, trying to figure out who to side with and what to say. It can affect very, very wealthy people who've got plenty of money, and it can affect people with no money, battling over the the one thing that they love most in the world. Jane, from the people you've spoken to, how do we go about fixing the system? It's not a quick fix. There's a new act coming into play, the Family Court Supporting Children in Court Legislation Act, a bit of a, a mouthful, but that will increase the emphasis on children being involved in mediation and in the care arrangements. And as well, they're, you know, the court are introducing new digital case management. They've increased the number of judges. They're improving their case management. They've now got Kayarahi, who are family court navigators, to try and help families understand the court system and kind of hold their hands going through. They've set up a new hearing centre in Newmarket to try and take the load off Auckland and Manukau. There are now 64 judges. And the parents themselves gave me ideas. They've said we would appreciate full explanations from judges about their decisions. They feel that they don't understand why the decision went against them, so they fight it. One of them said, you know, mediation should be compulsory because their partner just wouldn't go to mediation, but that should be something that they have to do before they're allowed to go to the family court. And even in extreme cases, one said, you know, I'd be happy to undergo a psychological assessment as long as my partner was in these cases to find out, you know, are there mental health issues, are there personality traits that are likely to make these go on. One of the concerning things is that only, I think, 1.73 million has been allocated for counselling. And I think that's another concern in the industry that, these children are quite traumatised and compared to, I mean, there's 82 million allowed for legal aid, so just 1.7 million on counselling is just not enough. Thanks for joining us, Jane. 
That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back soon for another look behind the headlines.